0: Okay. Ooh. How's the volume? Is that okay? Is it is it too loud? No. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, welcome everyone. I'm really excited to be here with you. This is the first time I've taught this particular evening here at Spirit Rock, and I'm just delighted um, to be part of this uh, this sit with you. I'm going to uh, lead us through about 30 minutes of practice. I'm wondering how many of you are really new to practice and would benefit from a little bit of guidance during those 30 minutes? Yeah, okay, great. So I'll offer some guidance. And those of you who have been doing this a long time and, you know, sometimes uh, a guided practice isn't really our thing, just allow my voice to be another arising in your experience, and you can go ahead with your own practice. So to begin with, uh, if you are following along, you might just make sure that you're in a posture that is supportive for you right now. You might notice your energy level if you have low energy this evening. You might sit up a little bit taller in your chair. If your body is able, you might pull away from the back of the chair. If you're sitting on a cushion on the floor, you might sit up a little taller on your cushion. If you're feeling anxious, um, if you're feeling um, over-energized, over-caffeinated, Then you might just lean back into your chair and allow your posture to support more of a relaxed stance. Go ahead and close your eyes. It can help to start with a few deep breaths. And then bring your attention to the areas of the body that are making contact with the chair or the cushion or the floor. And feel the heaviness of the body here. And as you do this, you're bringing your attention down into the body And so becoming more embodied. And as you bring your attention to... These places of contact, you might notice that the body and maybe even the mind begins to settle. Perhaps there's a feeling of being a little more grounded. Sometimes practicing in this way highlights the opposite. And you might notice a really busy mind or a restless body that doesn't want to stay still. That's okay. Give yourself permission to take your time in settling in, there's no rush. Keep bringing your attention to that sensation of sitting here. the mind will wander, no problem. The moment you notice that you've spaced out, that you've gotten stuck in a story, the moment you notice is a moment of mindfulness. You're present again. And so from there, you can choose to bring your attention back to the sensations of the body making contact the chair, the cushion and the floor. (laughs) Oh! <laughs> If you'd like you can continue practicing just in this way with these particular sensations. You could also begin to incorporate mindfulness of the breath. So bringing attention to the breath without controlling or manipulating the breath in any way. The body knows how to breathe. So you can just allow it to do what it knows how to do. And all you're doing is paying attention to those sensations. You can follow that gentle rhythm of the breath inside the body. Following each inhale and exhale. The mind wanders, you notice it, and you're present again. No problem. And then with gentleness, maybe even kindness towards yourself, you can bring your attention back to the sensations of breathing, back to the sensations of sitting here, You might have to do that over and over and over again. And that's okay. Each time you notice is a moment of mindfulness. And instead of beating ourselves up about it, or feeling discouraged it can help to delight in being present again For those who find the breath and the body not a delightful place to come back to, there are more options. One of which is sound, listening. You can open your attention to just listening. Keep your attention at the ears so that you stay with your body Allow the sound to come to you. And there's no need to analyze what the sound is and what it means. Think about the sound, although the mind will probably do that anyway. Allow that kind of thinking to be more in the background. And in the foreground, you're just watching or just listening just like the other instructions, when you notice the mind wanders, you notice it and you bring it back. These are the simple meditation instructions. So I'll be quiet now and we'll all sit and practice together in the silence. So we will take a 15 minute break. This is a a really nice time to be able to stretch your legs um, but also perhaps meet the people who are sitting closest to you. Um, Such a wonderful opportunity to be able to be in a room like this with uh, so many people interested in perhaps the same thing, uh, which I'm assuming is meditation. So you may just turn to people you don't know and introduce yourself. There'll be a bell rung, uh, looks right, around 8.10. And and then at 8.15, for those of you who are joining us online this evening, welcome and uh, come back for the Dharma talk uh, at 8.15. The talk this evening will be on the subject of tenderness and the importance of tenderness to be able to turn towards the parts of our experience that are most difficult. How can we actually hold our difficult experiences through practice with a heart that is open and a mind that is able to stay steady? And so I'll be talking about this in terms of tenderness and even guide a short practice at the end of the talk. So come back for that. Thank you. (laughs)
1: It's... <laughs>
2: you
0: all responded so quickly when i did it (laughs) um people on who are going to be following along have another few couple minutes so i want to give them a chance to join us and then also those who are in the hall so we'll just sit quietly here together in the way that we know how Okay. So, I want to welcome you all here again. Welcome those who are just joining us online. And as I said before the break, I am going to talk about the practice of tenderness and the importance of bringing tenderness to um, well especially to our experiences that are more difficult. And so the place to start really is with the difficult and what the difficult is. because see part of the human experience Not all of it, but part of the human experience is discomfort. That being in these human forms, there's a guarantee for discomfort. Uh, The Buddha talked about this in terms of uh, the human body. That just being in this body, it's a guarantee that it will get older, it will get sick, it will start to break down, and it will die. And that this is part of the discomfort of life. Even the Buddha, you know, here's this awake being, he wasn't exempt from any of this. So some people don't know that he had backaches and headaches, and sometimes would have to go and lay down because there was so much discomfort. Uh, He he died um, at a relatively old age for the time, Uh, but he died of basically food poisoning, if you can imagine what that would be like. So a lot of discomfort. Nothing glamorous about that. And so these human forms, we are guaranteed discomfort. But we don't like that fact. We do a lot to fight against that fact. We spend a lot of time and energy either trying to deny those truths, um, feeling like, oh wait, this shouldn't be happening yet, or it shouldn't be happening to me, or uh, regret, of course it's happening to me, I should have taken better care of myself. That's how I got this way. Uh, there's a lot of added experience onto this discomfort. The Buddha talked about um, many things and often summed up his truths in, uh, in three ways. So that uh, one was that there is dukkha, dukkha is the pali word for unsatisfactoriness um, it's sometimes translated as suffering sometimes it's translated as stress um, but that this is this is uh, something that we encounter is this dukkha and that this dukkha is impacted by our sense of self um, and that there is a possibility of non-self when we begin to free ourselves from uh, the entanglement of our dukkha. And then also that everything is always changing. That part of being in this world, it means that everything is always changing. Even when it feels really stagnant, it's always changing in some way. So, one way of looking at this is that uh, the truth is that everything changes, it's going to be uncomfortable, and that it's not personal. Everything changes, that makes it uncomfortable, but it's not personal. We quickly make it really personal. Most of our dukkha is created because we make it really personal. In some way, it's somehow about us. It's either about how it's affecting us directly, or it's affecting uh, our world, or it's affecting um, you know, whoever is in our focus. It feels really personal. And in those moments, there's this solidification that happens around who we are around the self. And this tightness is the dukkha. And I was thinking about this um, just the other night. And the image that popped up in my mind was one from grade school. Um, How how many of you ever got the chance to make goo? (laughs) Do you remember this? Where you take cornstarch and water and you'd mix them together... And it creates this thick um, liquid. How many are you with me? Is this a thing? Yeah, good. Because <laughs> I remember this. And um, you know, I think the, the idea behind it is to challenge um, young people uh, around the idea of what is a solid and what is a liquid. And so we can take this as an idea of our sense of self, that this life Everything's always changing, including ourselves. And because of that, there's this flow, there's, there's movement in life. And when we tighten around this sense of who we are and how it should be going or how it shouldn't be going, what we think we need or don't need in this moment, what makes this moment not enough, there's this tightness. And it's just like that goo where it's this thick liquid that can just flow into the crevices and flow wherever it needs to go. And then all you have to do is apply just a little bit of pressure and it solidifies. And it just takes the littlest bit. And that is what we do. It doesn't take much. And then we get in a habit of doing this. We get in a habit of making it personal, of uh, not coming to terms with the changing nature of things and the changing nature of us, our impermanence. And so there's so much suffering, so much dukkha that arises just from that. And then there's a whole uh, myriad of, of life experiences that we encounter that through those lenses then become so difficult. And so painful. This practice is really radical because it's asking us to notice the dukkha, to notice the suffering, to notice the habits around that dukkha, to notice what's all entangled in that dukkha? How'd it get there? What feeds it? We're asked to really examine it, get intimate with it. But this is so counterintuitive. You know, our human brains, our minds, uh, haven't been trained in this way. If anything, we're supported to do the opposite, to turn away, to pad up as much positive and good-feeling experiences as possible so that we are happy. And to be happy, we can't go into all the other stuff. There's a feeling like maybe we'll just drown if we go there sometimes, a feeling of overwhelm or fear that arises so it's really radical to be asked to turn towards this difficult, towards the dukkha. But that's exactly what this practice is about. Some of you may have come because, uh, actually this might be a real bummer to some of you who are new. <laughs> and who thought, well, I just want to meditate to, to feel better. And that's true. It does, it does have a feel-good feeling. But it only goes so far if we're really going for real happiness, if we're really going for waking up, which means untangling ourselves from these habits of, of perpetual suffering, if we're really sick of that, how many of you are sick of it? <laughs> yeah, it's motivating, right? We're tired of it. But it means turning towards difficult and really being there with it. One way I like to think of it is being steady with the difficult, with the dukkha. How do we stay steady? So sometimes it really works to sit down and and pay attention to our breath, to pay attention to our body or sound or whatever it is that is our object, and we can just be right there in the moment with whatever arises. Perhaps those of you who have been doing it a while, you can experience uh, uh, the, the wonderful feeling of concentration when the mind starts to come together, or you know, spontaneous compassion that arises sometimes, or metta, or loving-kindness. And it's just right there. That's a possibility. Most of us have those moments from time to time. And sometimes that dukkha is so thick, it's so strong, that even to turn slightly towards it feels like too much. It's terrifying. We do whatever we can to either push it away or make it look a little prettier so we can deal with it. We might have all kinds of habits and tendencies to deal, to cope. Even our meditation practice can become a coping mechanism. And that only goes so far. We start to realize, oh, even that is not enough. I have to turn towards it. So the question is how? How do we do this in a way that is uh, for the benefit of our heart and mind to be free, to go from this tightness to something more open and available, clear and steady? The way is not necessarily intuitive. Not that long ago, um, some of you who are here, who are familiar um, with me and my teachings, know that uh, this past year I've been away with my family, um, which is myself, my husband, and my two-year-old son, sailing down the coast of California and into Mexico, where we lived for nine months uh, before uh, deciding it was time to come home. And during this time, uh, we saw really incredible things and experienced uh, a lot of dukkha (laughs) and a lot of beauty. It was kind of living in the extremes of life. It was either like, oh my God, what are we doing? Or it was just incredible scenery, people, um, silence, space, togetherness. And one of those moments uh, really is burnt in my mind and feels relevant to this. And that is, we were in the Sea of Cortez. And we, you know, if you're sailing, if you're in a boat, you get to show up places where there aren't roads and there aren't people. And we spend a lot of time in those places and just these gorgeous uh, places in the desert. And uh, we pulled up to... Uh, a, a little cove, uh, and there was a beach there. And we went ashore, and the beach, you couldn't tell from the boat, but once you got on, was just covered in these beautiful seashells, kind of the spiral ones. And um, it didn't take long for my two year old to notice that they were moving, <laughs> they were walking, <laughs> they were filled with um, uh, hermit crabs and they were the, the land kind so they're all over the all over the the beach there and so um, being two you know he goes up and grabs one and you know he's he wants you know, immediately of course it goes <laughs> into its shell and and he's trying to you know poke it and trying to get it out and uh frustrated and drops it and then goes for the next one and is having the same result. so then we showed him well and we didn't know this for sure, but we kind of did an experiment where we put one on um, uh, my hand, and, and uh, Sean, my husband, he t- took one too. And we put the hermit crabs on our hand and said, okay, let's just see what happens. And you, as you might imagine, over time, although it took a while for it to come out, it finally emerged and then and then walked off and plopped on the sand and scurried away. And at that time, uh, living in that way that was um, so much in these different extremes and, and getting to know dukkha and the lack of dukkha and, and feeling that um, pretty severely, it, was really striking in that moment what a dharma teaching it was. You know, because it's something that we do for ourselves. You know, we want to um, get rid of these habits and these um, experience of dukkha. And so when we do finally turn towards it in some way, what shows up? But so often our judgmental mind... Um, a feeling of like, okay, let's just dig in there and fix it. <laughs> How many of you are fixers, right? Let's just get to the bottom of this. <laughs> uh, the one that comes in and just starts, you know, banging at the door. Let's get on with this. Let's get through this already. This is old stuff. I should be done with this. And what do we do when we treat ourselves in this way? When we Face our dukkha with all this aversion it's really all just aversion. our you know, armor comes up. We get really tight. Uh, we get confused. Uh, it's hard to navigate. It's hard to see clearly, because we're approaching it with so much aversion and hate. We hate it. We hate these sides of ourselves so often. They're hard to love. So, funny enough, that's often our intuitive way, often the, um, the approach that we initially take. Even if, we're, if we think of ourselves as really patient and loving people, um, when we find ourselves in real despair, uh, uh, real grief, ex- extreme anxiety, um, incredible rage and anger, Frustration. You know, are we really patient and loving towards ourselves in those moments? Are we able to just stay with that experience like we would with a easy, simple breath? It's really hard. The aversion just comes right in so often. And it's there as a protection. You know, it thinks... It's doing its job. That armor that a- appears too, in response, is just doing its job. So it's all very reactionary, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And our, our armor can show up uh, in many ways. Sometimes we become averse to our aversion. It can show up as a version itself. And just mounting frustration. It can show up as a de- as wanting. As desire. We're going into the classical hindrances here. Uh, wanting something that's not here. If only I had fill in the blank. My life would be perfect. Or at least better. I would like myself more. I would be satisfied. Uh, so we go into this longing for something Uh, or our armor can show up as real uh, restlessness restlessness in the body sometimes but also in the mind that mind that just is so stirred up and we can't uh, get uh, a line of wisdom in there because it's uh, just shouting it's so confused sometimes the classical text will will call it will translate that as restlessness and worry those of you who are warriors it looks more like that constant worrying and the feeling that comes with that that tightness that comes with that so much dukkha sometimes it turns into uh what is called sloth and torpor Uh, which is such a strange, archaic translation. But basically, uh, it can be a real exhaustion. These states are exhausting. These minds are so exhausting when they're in their neurotic form. So we are exhausted by that pull, by that cycle of dukkha. Sometimes it's exhaustion. Other times it looks like just an unwillingness to be there. I just I just can't look at this. I can't turn towards this. Just disinterest, uh, maybe a little bit of delusion in there. I just whatever, I'm not going to go there. The fifth one of these is doubt. I can't do this. I'm doing this wrong. Everyone else seems to have it together. No one else is going to understand this. We doubt ourselves uh, so intensely sometimes. It just feels like this quicksand, like muck, that we get stuck in, and we don't know where to turn. So those are the classic five, but also, you know, fear. Fear isn't in that classic five, but it it really is Uh, the bedrock for all of those. If you look close enough, fear will be there. And then that self-judgment seems to be another one. That tends to be a form of our, our, our armor. So how do we go from this tightness into this more open state to stay with Uh, what's difficult and there's a lot of different ways um you know in in the buddhist practice uh, there's a whole offering of heart practices to work with what is really hard Um, compassion practice is one of them metta practice love and kindness practice is one of them um a joy practice, an equanimity practice. Sometimes the concentration practice is what's called for. So there's a lot of things we can, we can call upon. Gratitude practice, forgiveness practice. Um, sometimes it feels endless. The Buddha taught in many, many ways because the people that he taught to, he taught directly. He met each person who came to him with a dilemma and offered the antidote that was just right for them. That was his gift. And so there's all these different approaches. The one that I'm playing with these days and have played with for many years um, is this tenderness practice that I mentioned. I find that sometimes uh, even the word self-compassion or the phrase self-compassion puts me in a certain mood if I'm already feeling funky. (laughs) There isn't a lot of willingness to feel self-compassion there. But tenderness, something different about tenderness. I don't know if it's something that um, is nostalgic about it, You know, times where I can remember uh, being a young child and being um, held in a way by a loving adult. You know, when I'm just beside myself because I didn't get the cookie that I wanted or something, or something awful, you know, maybe I experienced something really scary. And just being held in a way that is just tender, that tender openness. It's okay. I see you. I can hold this with you. Maybe those of you who are parents or grandparents or have young kids or people in your life can relate to that. Just that capacity that can step in when we see a young one hurting in some way. Uh, To be able to hold them as the adult, as the one who knows, the one who is wiser than they are, or the one who has the capacity in that moment to hold the suffering. There's so much tenderness in those moments. I know for myself that this is something that uh, came in early to my practice. Um, I came to this practice with uh, a lot of dukkha. I think a lot of us come to this practice because of our dukkha. Not everyone, but a lot of us. I was going through a lot of grief, a lot of loss in my life at a really young age, and began the practice of meditation and got into it pretty wholeheartedly um, and started sitting long retreats. And I remember a number of those first retreats where... uh, what was needed at some point was this tenderness because the grief would come. And even later in my practice, um, it appears grief is so interesting that way. We think, God, that loss was so long ago. And then we get quiet and we get a little bit more tender and the heart opens and there's this availability to work with. Uh, our scars, our hurts again. But hopefully over time, we have more and more capacity to allow it to be there. And so there it is. It just arises. And so what I find um, to be helpful is to sit with this this tenderness, this care that just almost like that, that sweet embrace of a young one uh, just goes to the edges of that dukkha, I can feel it maybe in my body, you know, there might be tightness here in my chest or in my stomach. And I just bring my attention to uh, the outer layer of that, right to the, the edges, and feel my own capacity to care about it, to relax around it. That I'm not pushing it away in some way, trying to fix it in some way, but rather just witnessing it this very gentle way it works for for grief Uh, I've done this with incredible anger I was sharing with with a group just on Thursday that uh, rage has been something that's appeared in in meditation retreats for me which I know when I'm sitting up here I don't look like a real raging kind of person but I am a human being, and so this is part of the human experience. And, you know, maybe it's cultural. Um, I'm not sure, but I know that in the past I've felt like, oh, that's so un-Buddhist of me, and feel like I need to fix that or rearrange it or, you know, push it away in some way. The rage is not the problem. It's when we don't turn towards it. And give it that tender attention that it starts to poison our mind and poison our heart. That's the problem. When attended and cared for, it can be incredible uh, energy to really do something. It can be turned into action. It can be transformative. But it takes this tenderness and willingness to be with it. Rage, frustration, confusion, aversion, doubt. All of these, we can be more tender with it. So I'd like to guide you through a practice, just a short one. I know you all sat already, but this will be a little different. I'd like you to sit in a way um, that's really comfortable. Um, If you're on the floor I welcome you to actually lay down if you are comfortable in doing that. Um, One thing to keep in mind, just this is a, um, for cultural reasons, uh, cultural respect, that we don't point our feet at the Buddha. Um, So you can point them in this direction. I appreciate that. I know you just do your best. And bending the knees is nice if you have back problems. Uh, if you're not in a chair, then I'm uh, sorry, if you're not on the floor and you're in a chair, allow yourself to really lean back in the chair and be as comfortable as possible, almost imagining um, like you're sinking into it. If you're at home, go find a sofa, go find your bed, and lay down. This is your chance. (laughs) Let your eyes close. And breathe deep so that you can feel your breath through your body. Now, if you're at home and you're on your own, you can even let out a little sigh. Maybe we'll all do that together here. (sighs) Isn't that nice? Okay. And then breathe deeply, but, but now we'll breathe more quietly if we're here, those of us in the room, and that just allows us all to have uh, the container that's needed. But when you go home, if you need to do more sighing, it's so lovely. Such a nice way to settle in. As you breathe in breathe in relaxation breathe in what you're needing maybe it's more acceptance tolerance safety care forgiveness breathe in, in deep And then as you breathe out, feel your body relax and let go a little bit more. Breathe in and feel that tenderness of care. The tenderness that comes with the vulnerability to be here with whatever arises. Breathe out and let go, relax the body a little more. You might bring to mind a time, maybe it's a present thing, that you're going through, but a time or an experience that uh, relates to this theme. And your mind might go into the details and the story of it all. That's okay. But see if you can bring it, bring your mind, your attention to the body and just notice where you hold or feel this dukkha That tightness or that friction. If you'd like, you can put a hand on that area. So you might put hands at your heart center if that's where you feel it, or your shoulders. I spent time with grief once where I just massaged my arms very gently that was what was needed that tender touch some of us feel it in our gut that, that ball that tightness and feel the tenderness of that touch that care that it's there to be nourishing to be kind, safe. You don't need to go to the center of your dukkha, whatever the feeling is. Or if it's more mental, it's more of a storyline that's whirling around. It's okay. You can allow that to be there and also be aware of the body here, noticing the hands If you're not putting hands on the body, you can just put a hand in a hand and feel that care there, maybe that groundedness there, that there can be the whirling in the mind as well as this tenderness. For some of you, the idea of putting your attention just at the the borders of the dukkha will make sense. And allow that attention to be very gentle. You're not needing to push it away. You don't need to fix it right now. This all we're doing is saying, Hey, I see you. I'm going to be with you and be present. And be kind and caring for a moment. And then if you can stay with it, do. Do. If it's too overwhelming, back off. You can open your eyes, look around the room, you know, if that's helpful. You can even move the body a little bit if that's helpful. And then if you want to go back in, you can. If you can stay with it, see if you can relax around the edges. There can be a whole cyclone of dukkha going on within us. All that confusion. The muck. But something bigger is also present. Something that's so much wiser. Something that has great capacity to hold. And be witness to it. This tenderness. Keep breathing in a way that is helpful. Sometimes the breath can help move the stuckness through. It keeps the beat, the rhythm, reminding us that everything's changing, everything is in motion. Remember, if you're feeling like it's too much, you can back off and open your eyes. And if that's true, you can just be here the best that you can in the room. And look around and remind yourself that actually in this moment, everything's okay. Sometimes, when we do this practice spontaneously, there can be a phrase or a voice that comes in with the tenderness. Sometimes it's just a way for us to um, not only witness the dukkha, but give voice to that which can hold it. So it might say something like, I see you, or it's okay. It's okay. A popular one that I really enjoy is I love you, keep going. It might be I forgive you, or just, oh, I care. I actually really do care. And that which is saying that is your wise, compassionate self. Ah, how about a big sigh? Ah. Sometimes there can feel like a little bit of residue, like maybe some of this is moving through, but there might be a little bit of residue. And so you can imagine now releasing that into the floor, into the earth. It's just compost. It's not personal. And we can incline to allow it to let go the best we can those little bits that are ready to be let go of. And then take another deep breath in and deep breath out. And let your eyes slowly open. Okay. And then if you're, you're on the floor, you can start to move your body upward. If you're sitting in the chair, you can move your body in the chair. Might be nice to actually sit up a little bit taller. So this tenderness practice, it makes us tender, (laughs) right? It is that compassion. Uh, The heart, when it comes in contact with the difficult, uh, with the suffering, uh, it trembles a little bit. Sometimes that feels like fear. Other times it's really clear that that is just that tenderness. We're just a little bit more vulnerable when we do this. It's a natural response when we see or really turn towards our dukkha. I want to say a little bit about fear before I open it up to questions. Sometimes uh, the fear is coming out of uh, not being so sure of who we will be without our struggle, without our dukkha. Sometimes the idea of really facing it and being with it and getting to know it, just that is, <laughs> brings up fear. Fear. You know, it might feel like it's just too big. And then sometimes when we're able to stay steady with it, that transforms and it becomes fear related to, well, then what? What happens when this is gone? Sometimes we've solidified so much around our pain and our dukkha and our stories that are there. That the idea of releasing it and transforming it is where the fear comes from. That unknown, almost this feeling of like, what if I just disappear if I really go into it? A bottomlessness. And so it's something to just notice Uh, that sometimes that can drive us in a way that makes it really hard to do these practices. But if we can keep coming back and notice if that's present and start to question that, what would I be like without my dukkha? Uh, Maybe something that would be reassuring to know uh, something that I've myself found and I think a lot of people who have been on this path for uh, a while, certainly longer than me, uh, and have faced this, this, uh, this type of fear, we don't just disappear. <laughs> uh, in fact, our personality doesn't really change much. We become more of who we are. We become more of who we are because all that extra layering that is the dukkha, it's like a crust, a thick crust. Or perhaps we can go back to that shell that we're all wearing. Uh, It's lightened. It's just not as heavy anymore. Uh, We're still there. It's still us. But we're more of who we really are. The Buddha was said to be the happy one. He was this uh, supposedly a very happy, joyful person. And I imagine that is coming from the lightness that comes from really being with the dukkha and untangling and sloughing off all that residue. We don't have to carry it anymore. What a wonderful thing. So it's something to keep in mind when you're in that seat of fear. Okay. So maybe that's enough. Uh, I'd like to hear from you uh, any, any questions that you might have. And we do have mics and we have people who are going to pass the mics around. So if you, you have a question or... I think a comment or two would also be fine. We have a little bit of time for this. So you can just raise your hand and they'll bring the mic to you. Yeah, right here.
2: Thank you for a really great topic. Um, Definitely this has been a practice for me as well to try to stay in that tender, open, open open-hearted, expansive place. Um, And then I find myself around other people. That's always been a real challenge for me. Um, and lately I can feel that tenderness and that open-heartedness start to drain or start to close. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, it's usually around fear. Yeah. Um, and intellectually, I can figure out what the fear is. Am I going to get made fun of? Am I going to get rejected? Anything like that. My struggle lately is that really small phase in the interaction when I'm still with the other person when the tenderness starts to drain and the defenses start to come up and I'm wondering if you can speak on that that work, that effort to try to stay open when the challenge is really, really active.
0: Yeah. That's a great question. You know, it's the gift that other people give us when they show us our edges, uh, our spines, and our, our uh, armor. You know, sometimes we lose track of it when it's just us by ourselves. And it's other people that kind of give us the different angles that we might be missing, our blind spots. Um, I find sometimes it's helpful to hold difficult people in that way. Uh, to think about, especially if it's someone who's ongoing in your life, you know, what does this person have to teach me? To keep in mind that, um, you know, we're we're all suffering. There's a lot of dukkha to go around. And when we can tap into that, uh, I find that that compassion is a lot more accessible. Now, when you're in the moment, (laughs) and you're face-to-face with that difficult person, and they've just hit that particular button, you know, it's a process. It's a practice. So you might find different ways to remind yourself to just pause. So it might be um, something tactile, like, The tenderness practice, you know, you might find your hands and just feel them there as a reminder to go towards compassion or even uh, putting a hand on your heart if you're, say, they're giving you feedback or they're speaking to you in a way that's just really hard to stay with. Um, Putting that tenderness that hand of tenderness there. It's a beautiful protection, actually. It's a better protection than the other ones, than the aversion, uh, than the the judgment, all that 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 arises, the anger, uh, hatred, whatever it is. That tenderness can be a a great protection, actually. But it, it does take practice. So doing little things just to remind you. And then there's lots of different Uh, other practices that you might be interested in like uh, doing something around uh, mindfulness of your speech uh, mindfulness of actions there's whole sections of of practice that are related just to that relatedness how do we take this and then relate to others how do we be in communion with others or in harmony with others Um, this is actually a huge part of this practice. You know, uh, here we get this idea that as lay people, the practice is done, you know, in these very nice spaces. You know, we don't talk to each other that much. It's mostly internal. Um, but at the time of the Buddha and in monasteries, I mean, there's all, it's all about people interacting with people and what that brings up. Um, so there's a number of, of practices that that could be supportive in that way. So speech is a good one. Uh, you might check that out. No. Okay, maybe up here.
2: Uh, could you say something about the dukkha that's given to all of us on the political, over the political situation? It creates such tension and stress for so many of us
0: yeah yeah it's such it's so important that we practice this tenderness with our st- we start with ourselves, <laughs> then we can move out <laughs> our circles of tenderness towards others but starting with ourselves and and holding that frustration the rage the confusion um that sloth and torpor that comes in you know i just can't even deal with this anymore um to hold all of this with a lot of pa- with patience towards ourself for having these reactions, um, with tenderness for for what arises, if we don't look at that, if we get caught up in the newsreel of what's happening and we forget this inner work that is necessary uh, You know, the things that go unchecked become poison to our heart and our mind. And that closing down and that tightness will just continue. And then how we respond, although it might seem really just, maybe it is, um, but how we respond will be different from the way that we could respond uh, if we are approaching this with clarity Wisdom, compassion, tenderness, availability, presence, groundedness. That's how we want to move forward. And um, I think it's possible. I think we're waking up in a global way. It's not just this country, although this country is, we're in it, aren't we? We're in it. But we're doing this. There's a, there's a, Uh, community awakening that I think is happening uh, that's really exciting and we don't want to miss it and we don't want to take it for granted. We're in such an important time right now. uh, A time that this non-self is so important. This is not about any individual that this is about all of us. And so if we can keep opening to this idea our capacity to hold all this dukkha And to really be allies for each other. uh, To really look at our own blind spots of how are we contributing to the problem instead of looking out at everybody else. Um, We will be a force of awakening as a community. I really do believe that. I think that's what's happening. Or that's a possibility of what's happening right now. Uh, So I'm hoping that's true. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, thank you. Uh let me just remind myself. Okay. Whoops. Yeah, maybe just uh one more. You guys can pick.
1: <laughs> okay. Hi, thank you so much for everything. Uh that was great. So this dukkha thing's kind of funny, so that's been a nickname for me as a kid, for my mom. My whole life was dukkha, I guess. Really? I guess.
0: <laughs> Is this your mom?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, right here.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's... I it's, get uh, it. I get it. I, in, it. In I have one, saying. too. <laughs> but, um, I, was, I, I was a little... I, was, I really enjoyed that meditation. I do agree. To fix some things, we do need to kind of work backwards and like really fixate on it to see kind of what's going on. Um, but for me, would you recommend that type of meditation to do? Like, I know it's different, obviously, for each person and whatever the dukkha may be, but is that a, a meditation you'd recommend doing a lot? Because for me, I don't really feel like I have a problem like coming back to t- to terms with certain things. It can yeah. be kind of, you know, it's very, it can be stimulating. It's like, all right, mm-hmm.
0: what
1: would you say? Yeah, yeah. So
0: in the way that you're talking about it, and I don't know if I'm understanding this correctly, but it's almost like... And maybe because just the it
1: comes back the duke like it could be it's the same duca it doesn't really matter like
0: yeah how you, do it, you know so um, I find this meditation to be really helpful when I'm in the moment with something that feels really hard to stay with to stay steady with you know and I know it's hard to stay steady with because all I want to do is avoid it. And it might not even be intentional avoidance. It might just be my mind is like, forget it, and it's going to go in every other direction, right? Or my body is just like, I am not sitting here with this, and I'm not in that much control. So when that's happening, um, when, when just the breath isn't enough, uh, the you know, mindfulness of the body or sound or whatever isn't enough, then this, this tenderness practice... Is is, a, is one possibility, is a possibility um, to help give ourselves the capacity to stay steady with our attention in a way that is opening instead of feeding that tightness and that reactivity. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that does. Thank okay. you.
0: Yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah. Okay. So... You know, it doesn't say it in here, so I don't know if this is something that you guys not do regularly on a Monday night, but I kind of imagine it is, and that is um, a closing with the dedication of merit. I see some nods. Oh, good. I think this is so important. Sometimes I feel like this is the most important thing that we do, <laughs> and that is to acknowledge, take a moment, to just acknowledge, uh, for ourself and as a community here and, and also the greater community online who have been joining us, that coming and spending time in this way, practicing the Dharma, listening to the Dharma, uh, really taking it in for ourself. This is, this is so good. This is so wholesome. Uh, and we need that wholesomeness in the world. So it might be that you came here for yourself, um, which is a good thing. And it's important to acknowledge that even though this is a benefit for each of us, uh, it has a ripple effect that goes out into the world. It affects the people we care deeply about, our loved ones. The way we are with them can change. It can have an effect on the people we work with, the people we interact with on a day to uh, day day to day basis. Uh, it can ripple out into our communities, and then I think this ripples out in a way that goes further than we even understand, and so in that spirit, we can dedicate our uh, time together any goodness or wholesomeness that came from this and dedicate it to all beings everywhere, those who are seen and unseen in all directions. May all beings everywhere be happy and content. May all beings everywhere feel safety in their mind and body. May they be free from inner and outer harm. May beings everywhere be healthy in their mind and in their body. And may all beings be at ease. May all beings be free. May we all be free. So thank you everyone for your attention this evening.